0: Hey there, welcome to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. We have got a very special holiday episode of the show for you this week, and it wouldn't be the holidays around here without a visit from Paul F. Tompkins, the comedian and actor. He will finally weigh in on the topic of passive-aggressive Christmas carolers at a Scottish-themed steakhouse in Los Angeles. It's what you've been waiting for, I know. Also, he's gonna talk about how he and his wife, Janie, discovered the term, weekend water. We're also going to talk to Sarah Marshall, host of the wildly popular podcast, You're Wrong About, on why a lot of us, myself included, tend to sort of get it so wrong when it comes to how we remember big news stories and events. That might be handy to brush up on before all those holiday dinner conversations. Then we're going to hear some new music from LiveWire favorite, Jimmy Harrod. That is the plan. We're spreading tidings of comfort and jokes this week on the show, starting right after this. The holidays are here, and it is time for I consider this a somewhat holiday related station location identification examination.
3: Ooh.
0: Yes, right? Okay, this is where I'm going to tell you about a place in the country where we're on the radio. You got to try to guess where I am talking about. Um, this city is home to the historic annual Grandma's Marathon, which is not actually <laughs> a marathon for grandma's, <laughs> but is named after Grandma's restaurant. It's one of the largest and best-known marathons in America. It's got over 20,000 participants.
3: Ah, I don't know. I mean, there's grandmas all over this country. It's one of the things that makes it great. I mean, marathoning, is, is it a certain time of year?
0: It doesn't say on my list here. I'm guessing not in the winter because I'll give you another hint. This is a place where it is very, very snowy around the holidays. In fact, thousands of people flock to this city during Christmas time to see Bentleyville, the largest walkthrough display of lights in America. There's also a Christmas village and the historic Glensheen Mansion, which has over 25 Christmas trees in it.
3: Uh, I still don't know, but a snowy place that I love is, let's say, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan.
0: Man, you're so close. I'm just winging it with this hint. But did you know Telly Savalas recorded a series of ads for this city to promote it? This is a real thing. Is it Duluth, Minnesota? (laughs) It's Duluth, Minnesota. (laughs) Why was that the hint that worked for you? They're amazing, by the way. Telly Savalas doing ads for Duluth is something you just can't unhear once you've heard them. Where we're on the radio on WSCN out there in Duluth. So thank you so much all of those folks for tuning in should we get to the show let's do it take it
3: away from PRX it's this week comedian Paul F. Tompkins I
4: like to sing but I don't want to be on somebody's front doorstep uh, uh, Love Actually style I mean I would show up and turn the cards over for sure I would do that
1: And podcaster Sarah Marshall. I would always find little backdoor ways to cram a story about some kind of 80s media fiasco into a TV review. With music from Jimmy Harad and our fabulous
3: house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, the host of Livewire, Lou Burbank.
0: Hey, thank you so much, Elena. Thanks to everyone. For tuning in from all over the country, this is a special holiday edition of Live Wire, and as such, we've asked the listeners a special holiday question. What is your favorite holiday tradition? We're going to hear those responses coming up in just a few minutes. In the meantime, Elena, I'm curious, what is your favorite holiday tradition?
3: (laughs) Well, um, so uh, back when I was a youngin, we would always get into the car and drive just a couple hours to my grandma's place in North Carolina and have like a noon Christmas meal, But we would. she lived in a pretty small house, and so we would drive home. She made this gigantic southern, you know, like butter beans and like two kinds of meat and biscuits galore. It was like a week's worth of calories, and we ate it, and we always were like, we're never going to eat again. And so then we'd drive home, and we would invariably get strangely hungry at like 7.30 p.m., and there would be nothing in the fridge. Right. So I, I don't know how to cook. I still don't know how to cook. But the only thing that I was confident because I was like a college student, a high school student was making nachos. So for years, our Christmas <laughs> dinner, like while we were watching It's a Wonderful Life or whatever, was Christmas nachos. And it was kind of special because it was literally the only time that I ever made food for my mother and stepfather. <laughs>
0: And was it just sort of, I mean, regular nachos? Like you were, you didn't bring home a bunch of leftovers and like integrate them into the nachos or anything? No,
3: no, no. Now that I live with a kind of a good gourmand, we do take those kinds of nacho um, liberties.
0: Adventures. But it
3: was just like, oh, there's a can of green chilies in the pantry and some tortilla chips and some shredded cheese. And, you know, I never go anywhere without having chips and salsa close by. But, you know, we've continued the tradition. Like I said, now I live with David who can make a heck of a holiday meal, but we still always make space At one point during the Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, whatever, to eat a plate of Christmas nachos, like it's just not Christmas
0: without them. (laughs) The colors also work. You get the red salsa, you get the green of some chilies. I mean, it's honestly, I can't believe more people aren't making Christmas nachos, Elena. Well, maybe it'll they'll start the tradition now. (laughs) All right, if you if you uh, try some Christmas nachos this year and you enjoy them, email us. Let us know how it went for you. I would say that my one of my favorite holiday traditions is kind of related to the fact that I I grew up in a, a sort of odd Christmas environment. My parents—we didn't really celebrate Christmas when I was a young kid because of the church my parents went to and stuff. But over time, we started to—we had stockings, and then we would put some presents in there. And then there was a sort of growing sense of, of Christmas in my house. And so I remember one year when— I don't even know if we had a tree yet, but I know that it was like we were allowed to give each other presents and go buy presents and stuff like that. And this, I think it was like my first year. I'm probably like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. My first year where I'm going to Cregan's Pharmacy in Seattle and spending all my allowance to get amazing gifts. Like, I got my dad a laminated sign that said, to error is human, to really screw things up, you need a computer. (laughs) And it just had, like, a total, like, 1980s computer that was spewing paper out of the printer. It was— Sounds like a Garfield joke. (laughs) Totally. It was like, these were the worst presents. But I remember sitting in my bedroom and listening to the radio— while I was wrapping these presents, and this is Christmas Eve, and I was just so excited to get to, like, be part of having presents and giving presents and all that stuff. And they happened to be playing this old-time version of A Christmas Carol, like an old radio production of A Christmas Carol. And, like, you know when you're a kid, sometimes you'll do something weird where you'll just, like, sit kind of crisscross applesauce in an uncomfortable fashion for no discernible reason (laughs) and then make a goal for yourself? My goal was I had to wrap all the presents before I was allowed to sit in a more comfortable position. What? <laughs> I just, I don't know why. I just remember sitting on the floor in my bedroom, listening to a Christmas carol and sitting and wrapping presents. And to this day, when it is time for me to wrap presents, it is Christmas Eve. I have found that same recording, it has Lionel Barrymore in it playing um, Mr. Scrooge. I I play it now. It's from the internet, of course. But I play that. I sit on the floor. I don't sit on a chair like a normal person. I sit on the floor and I wrap presents. To this day, I'm 46 years old.
3: Well, uh, you know, if you ever want to switch it up, you can also go on the internet and look up the Yinzer Christmas Carol, which is... Like, as in from Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's these two comedians that are called Greg and Donnie, and they do, like, (laughs) instead of saying bah uh, humbugs, Scrooge says, oh, bullcrap. And he's, he's, like, <laughs> he's like, and the boy, boy, it's like, boy, what day is it? Get out of Giant Eagle. Give me the biggest turkey you can find.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, head down to Daddy, get get out me the there. Biggest yeah. sandwich you can find. <laughs> it's very uh, good. <laughs> say there, boy. Are the Steelers still in the playoffs?
3: <laughs> yeah. Are you being nebby with me, Mr. Ghost? I don't think so.
0: <laughs> I would absolutely listen. In fact, you know what? Maybe that can be—I can add that. I'll I'll wrap some of the presents uh, on the night before Christmas Eve, and I'll listen to the Yinzer Christmas carol.
3: Or just get into a cross-legged position and eat Christmas nachos.
0: I, I'm not kidding you. Maybe I'm just too hungry when we tend to record the show, but <laughs> Christmas nachos sound incredible to me right now. I would crawl across— broken Christmas (laughs) ornaments to get my hands on some Christmas nachos. That's how hungry I am. I could be like Bruce Willis in Die Hard (laughs) getting to the Christmas nachos. Anyway, uh, we're going to read the listener responses to their favorite holiday traditions coming up. In the meantime, though, we've got to welcome our first guest on over to the show. Now, if you're looking for comedy and podcast royalty, this guy definitely qualifies. He plays Mr. Peanut Butter on BoJack Horseman. He was on HBO's Mr. Show. He's appeared on hundreds of episodes of Comedy Bang Bang. Take a listen to our conversation with Paul F. Tompkins, recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. Hi! Hello! Hello! Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me back, guys. It's a pleasure to see you again. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get you back up here for like a year and a half and you wouldn't come. Yeah, and I took a hurt.
4: year off last year and I said, <laughs> I'm going to really take some time to sit and think. <laughs>
0: At the beginning of the pandemic, I know you and your wife, the actor uh, Janie Haddad Tompkins, started doing this podcast, Stay F. Homkins. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> There's a lot of Haddad Tompkins heads here. That's what Absolutely. that cheer was. Absolutely. The hat head heads? Yes. The head heads. And uh, this show has actually become really popular. It made a lot of kind of best of the year lists. It's a delight. First of all, I wouldn't
4: say it's become really popular. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we were surprised that anyone listened to it. Uh, by that by that measure, yes. It's astoundingly popular. <laughs> okay.
0: I feel like this podcast should be in uh, the Stay F. Homkins podcast, should be in the Podcasting Hall of Fame for just one thing, which is popularizing a term that you and Janie <laughs> engage in as you're recording the show. So the sort of conceit of the show is it's an after-dinner chat. Mm. You're just kind of talking about the world and your lives and everything, and you're enjoying a little... A weekend water. That's correct. <laughs> What's the story on weekend this, water? This was a
4: phrase that was coined by uh, Janie's mother, uh, who lives in South Carolina, and one of her grandchildren was making a move to um, pick up one of her drinks. Uh, I think this was at 4th of July, and she said, oh no, honey, don't touch that. That's, that's grandma's weekend water. <laughs> And we,
0: I never forgot
4: it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like that could really revolutionize someone's relationship with drinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even for the best. Because mm-hmm. like, oh, Definitely not for if the best. If it's Tuesday, so it's, are you having a drink? It's like four on Tuesday. You're like, I'm just having a little weekend water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really kind of takes the judgment off of it. Yeah. <laughs> then it just becomes a matter of semantics. Yes, Yeah. Yes. indeed. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if hosting this podcast with your wife has been good for the relationship, uh, bad for the relationship, if things remained unchanged. I, it's been good for the relationship, I
4: think. It, it was very, uh, it was a very weird thing. We'd never done anything like that before, and together, we'd never done a podcast together before. So it it was like, well, this is my a personal relationship with my wife. I don't know if I want to share it. And then it was fun. Like, the first time we did it, it was fun. And I was like, I guess we're doing this for as long as we are stuck here inside. And then then after things lifted, it just seemed like, let's keep doing it. But we, we couldn't do it with regular, the same regularity because things started to, uh, like, we started to work again, and, you know. But I think we're going to keep doing it once a month. It's just, it's become its own thing at this point. And we have merch, so we got to sell it. Yeah.
5: <laughs> You gotta once merch enters... Th- Listen, yeah.
4: once merch enters a marriage, yeah. there's no turning back.
0: <laughs> um, I think it was the, m- the most recent episode uh, where you were expressing a certain amount of concern for Adele. You feel like she is singing in some kind of new <laughs> accent. You know, what is your evidence?
4: Okay. We were Right before we started recording, we were listening to Adele's new album, and there's this style of singing that I think, I don't know if it's pushed on young women, like they have to do this mm. if they want to have a hit, or if, like, young women are just like, oh, that's how people sing now, so I'll just do that. But I call it the uh, the Cajun baby singing voice. <laughs> because it's very, like, it's sort of like a, I'm sort of a child, but now I say toin instead of turn. Like, that's not a... Th- that's not like a singing accent you can just have. <laughs> like, to just sound like a little baby Dr. John.
0: <laughs> it's all basically David Sedaris singing the Oscar Mayer yeah, theme I song so. as Billie Holiday. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was an Oscar Mayer winner.
0: you
4: Nailed it. That's
0: exactly what it is. Well, that, but I mean, that's a thing that David Sedaris really does. I wish I could take credit for it. I'm just reporting the facts of yeah. the world.
4: Yeah. Oh, oh and man. he sings it in the style of yeah. Billie Holiday. Yes. Yeah. Like a song. That's of a... exactly what
0: it is. <laughs> Speaking of singing, uh, I know that you are a fan of the Tam O'Shanter in Los Angeles, the yes. Scottish Steakhouse.
3: Not the hat. Well, <laughs> that, I wouldn't put I'm it past you. I'm also a fan you. of the hat. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past
4: you. I wouldn't put it past you. Wear one of those hats. Do you own one? Of course I do. <laughs> of course I do.
0: Hold on, Paul. You know what? We need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about the live caroling at the Tamo Shanty. <laughs> sure. And, <laughs> what a <laughs> cliffhanger, guys! Many. <laughs> this is Livewire. We're talking to Paul F. Tompkins. Back with more in just a moment. Yeah. What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to Live Wire from PRX, coming to you from Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Furbank here with Elena Passerello. We're talking to Paul F. Tompkins from Freedom and uh, BoJack Horseman and Mr. Show and so many other amazing fun places and the Tam O'Shanter, Los Angeles' leading Scottish steakhouse, mm-hmm. where they feature live Christmas carolers. Yes. Which, what What's your relationship with, with that form of entertainment?
4: Well, <laughs> with that form of entertainment. I think it was a thing. Caroling, I think, was always a thing. I was scared would show up at my door. <laughs> it was a thing I was afraid I would be invited to do. Neither of those things ever happened. But
0: you're such a good singer.
4: Well, <laughs> don't don't say that. <laughs> I'm okay. I do all right.
5: <laughs>
4: but there's something... There is... There is a weird thing. There's like a certain shyness that you get when you can do a thing, but you're asked to do it in a weird situation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I like to sing, but I don't want to be on somebody's front doorstep, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 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 Love Actually style. And um, I mean, I would show up and turn the cards over for sure. I would do that. <laughs> if you if you want to print out the words to Good King Wenceslas on a on a series of cards, I will show up at someone's door and turn them over. <laughs> this is actually not a bad idea the more I'm thinking about it. I think it's, a, it's a bit of whimsy that I think people would enjoy. But, uh, so I, I started going to the Tam O'Shanter, uh, which is one of the oldest restaurants in Hollywood. Uh, uh, Walt Disney's animators used to, uh, and I think still do. I think the Disney animators still out of tradition go there to get drunk. Um, and... Uh, I, a thing that I did not know the first time I went there with a friend of mine during the Christmas season, we were gonna, just going to meet up for a, a dinner and catch up, that they have strolling Victorian carolers that walk throughout the restaurant, and they come up to you and they ask you what song you want to hear, and you have to tell them the name of a song that you want to hear, <laughs> and then they sing it at you. Hello then, from the
0: other side.
4: <laughs> has to be a Christmas song. Oh. Although I've never tested that out.
3: You can change I, it to like "Hello from the Yule Tide."
4: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so the first year that happened, we were like, "That was weird." So the next year, we were like, "How do we prevent that from happening again?" <laughs> and so uh, we said, "All right, we'll we'll devise a plan. I don't think we can make them stop, so uh, we'll figure out where to look." <laughs> Um, and so it won't be as uncomfortable so uh, what I did was afterwards we compared notes and I said where did you look and he said I just looked at the in the eyes of the ladies I just did that huh. and I said I looked, I looked sort of in the middle distance and nodded my head as if I was really into it like it was really powerful to me so then we for- the thing is we kept forgetting that this was going to happen and we had a yearly engagement after <laughs> Thanksgiving we would go to the Tam Shander and have dinner so then the next year we're prepared for it <laughs> and we say alright here's what we'll do we'll tell them oh you already sang the one that we wanted to hear we just heard you <laughs> sing it at this other table well guess what you could tell from the reaction they had heard this before <laughs> <laughs> it got so passive aggressive they were all, all of them, four of them, in this Victorian garb. were like, oh, okay, all right, great, yeah, no problem, no problem. And they're walking away, and we're like, it was so beautiful. I was like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, sure, uh-huh. And that felt so bad. So the next year, we're like, okay, we're just going to let it happen. And we're, you know, it's like, what? why are we bothered so much by this? So then, that's the year that we're cheerful about it. We're like, yes, we can't wait. Let's hear Oh, Holy Night" or whatever. Then we witness them getting into a weird fight <laughs> about the key because the one, <laughs> oh,
3: <no>.
4: the guy <laughs> on the end says, "What key is it in again?" The guy on the on the other end says, "It's in C." And so they start looking through the book and like trying to figure out what what key is this in. And the guy on the end is like, "It's in C, like I said." And then. Um, They finally find it in the book and they say, okay, and uh, and the guy on the other one says, okay, and it's in C. And the guy on the end says, like I said! (laughs) And then they sang the
0: tensest Oh Holy Night that I'd ever heard. You should invite them on your variety show that you've been doing in Los Angeles. You know what? I should. I absolutely should. I should invite them out of season.
4: <laughs> and get them on
0: there. Uh, talk about that because you've gone back to live performing. Uh, I'm wondering like for the audience, are is the audience subdued or are they just like excited to be somewhere? Are the performers as everyone I mean what's the general feeling? The audience of-
4: is very subdued. It's not going well. And <laughs>
0: um it's been
4: it's been fantastic. My first show back was uh in September and the the feeling in the room for for everybody on stage everybody off stage was just cathartic everyone was excited to be somewhere doing something that felt kind of normal it's a big show it's got a big band and uh, you know a lot of guests and everything and a lot of uh, songs to be learned and things like that and i i'm hoping to ride that feeling for as long as i possibly
0: can <laughs> people can watch this on vimeo if they're not in los that's angeles that's right
4: luke
5: <laughs>
0: I was wondering, you're a very skilled improviser. You improv all these characters. (laughs) The irony is we planned that. That was was not improvised. That was scripted months ago. And he kind of stepped on my line. I did. I couldn't wait. I I got excited. One job, Tompkins. Um, (laughs) Did you go to one of these improv programs, like Second City or Groundlings or I.O. or something? How did you get started with this? And when did you know, oh, this is something I'm actually kind of have a knack for it.
4: Yeah, it was really, it was uh, osmosis from doing podcasts because when I started doing characters, I never had to do that before to sustain a character and to sort of conceit and like a story over the course of of that long. And so from doing podcasts and doing them with other people who did that kind of character work regularly, uh, I got to a point where I was like, I think I want to throw myself into the deep end. I think I've I've learned the precepts of this um, from being around it and, and seeing it done so much. Um and so I started a, I started doing like live improv shows uh, like if uh, you know a couple of people asked me to do it and, and then I started doing a podcast where I had to improvise every week and um that that was a podcast called Spontaneation. Nation
0: Yes <laughs> Thank you
4: <laughs> And that was like I was like I'm just going to I'm going to make it so that I am the weakest link of every show and if I can if I can be good as the weakest link of the show then that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to I'm going to get people I'm going to get guests on the show who are so good and so skilled at doing this that that's how I'm going to learn how to do this.
0: That's amazing to me because as a Spontaneous Nation listener, I assumed that we were sort of catching up with you in like year 15 of your hardcore improv <laughs> you, career. You
4: sure weren't? Really? <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow, that was impressive. You also uttered Maybe one of the greatest lines, I believe, was on Spontaneous Nation. I don't know if this was improvised or actually part of you said, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who said, You've reached the end of your Benjamin Franklin quote of the month. Luke, can I tell you? <laughs> I say I that you, in my head all the time. That
4: was a scripted line from Bojack Horseman. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter said that. Oh, no. <laughs> so not only did I not come up with it myself, <laughs> a cartoon dog said it. <laughs>
0: Paul F. Tompkins, everybody. That was Paul F. Tompkins right here on this special holiday edition of LiveWire. His stand-up special, Crying and Driving, two of the most common things that I do, sometimes at the same time, um, is available now, as are his many, many podcasts And one other exciting update. Elena, did you know Paul is also in Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which came out earlier this year? Apparently,
3: it's a biography with absolutely no facts in it, which is how I like my (laughs) biopics, honestly.
0: That sounds perfect for Al Yankovic's career. (laughs) Hey, special thanks this episode to Samita Reddy. Portland, Oregon. Samita is part of the Livewire member community and is generously supporting our show with a donation each month. And we are very thankful for that support. It is how we are able to keep this whole thing going. So, a big thanks to Samita. This is Livewire. Of course, each week we ask our listeners a question. Uh, This is a holiday show, so we thought we'd ask the listeners, what is your favorite holiday tradition? And Elena has been collecting up those responses. What do you see?
3: Here's a cute one from Paige. Paige says, one of my fave traditions is eating the pomegranate that is at the toe of my stocking on Christmas morning. Did you have this, Luke, where you always had some kind of fruit in the toe of your stocking?
0: Not as a kid, But now in adulthood, like with my daughter and stuff, we always throw a couple of those like mandarin oranges or something in there. I didn't know pomegranate was an option, but that seems really fun. Me
3: either. Yeah, it sounds really good. We had tangerines, but uh, I like the pomegranate. And then you eat it on Christmas morning, according to Paige, in order to make it special. Love it.
0: A pro tip on that, get some newspaper. Because those pomegranates are messy work. You'll ruin your stocking.
3: Did you know, by the way, that I use the same Christmas stocking that my mother made me when I was a baby? I still use the same one.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is absolutely adorable. Now, what usually, like, what does David put in there? We only
3: do stockings. We don't do any other presents. And you can only buy the stuff that goes in the stockings locally on a designated shopping day, usually the 23rd. So it's like weird tchotchkes, books. Sometimes he'll throw like a necklace in there, which I think is cheating. because. But it's just like whatever we can buy within like an hour and a half during this designated time. So no shopping anxiety, maximum fun.
0: Uh, What's another holiday tradition that one of our listeners loves around the holidays?
3: This one made me laugh from Emily. Emily says, maybe this doesn't count as a tradition because I only started doing it last year. (laughs) But my roommates and I celebrate Festivus of Seinfeld fame. (laughs) We have a tiny Festivus poll. We air our grievances at dinner as good-naturedly as possible. And then we wrestle to compete the feats of strength. I came in last place. (laughs) 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 Well, I hope they continue the tradition and then Emily can maybe rise in the Festivus feats of strength rankings.
0: I mean, listen, I consider Christmas nachos a tradition for me, and I haven't even made them yet. (laughs) I just learned about them. So yeah, Emily, it can be a proud tradition that's only existed for one year.
3: One of my favorite things about Christmas is the weird rituals that you end up doing with your longtime friends,
0: you know, because you got the
3: family version and then the friends, things just get so fun and weird and great. And I just love that.
0: Yes, absolutely. Festivus for the rest of us, I believe they say. Um, Okay, one more holiday tradition before we get to our next guest.
3: Oh, well, now this is just a tried and true tradition from Olivia. Olivia's tradition is searching for a pickle in the Christmas tree.
0: Oh, sure. I mean, who didn't grow up with that?
3: I wonder, like, is it like... Do you ever find the pickle? Did someone actually hide a pickle? Or do you just go on this kind of like Quixotean task of like looking <laughs> for a pickle in the Christmas
0: tree? <laughs> and do you eat it when you find it? Ooh. Like, to what end? Because I'll tell you what, I love me some pickles. And I would probably, if it had only been up in the tree for a day or two, I would eat it. 100%.
3: Is it like an ornament? Everything about this is uh, is uh, worthy of investigation, which is how I like my Christmas traditions. So good job, Olivia. Yes.
0: I love that for them. All right, thanks, Olivia. Thanks to everyone else who sent in your responses. Uh, you are listening to a special holiday episode of LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello over there. Now, the holidays for a lot of us mean um, sitting around a table, maybe taking a trip down memory lane with your family, and sometimes you discover that things are not always quite how you remembered them, or how somebody else might have remembered them. Our next guest has a lot of thoughts on this. Um, she is a writer, a media critic, and host of the very popular modern history podcast called You're Wrong About, which reexamines news events that a lot of us misunderstood or misremember. The show has explored everything from satanic panic to if Yoko Ono really actually broke up the Beatles. Time Magazine called it one of the best podcasts of the year when it first came out, and it continues to get rave reviews and lots of downloads. Take a listen to our conversation with Sarah Marshall, which we recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. Sarah, Hello. welcome to the show. The the kind of a premise of you're wrong about is, is that there are all of these big news events and things that we've all heard about, uh, but are often wrong about the details of Mm -hmm. maybe who was at fault or what was really going on. I'm curious why it is you think that we get so much stuff wrong when there is so much information now to be had. We are, we can Google anything and find it out. And yet we're often wrong about things.
1: We sure are. (laughs) I feel like the show had, a more hard-to-sell premise two years ago, um, because it was like, gee, it's funny. It's almost like the more available the correct information is, the harder it is for us to assimilate that. It's very strange, but it really happens a lot, and now it's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. But I, I think after looking at as many stories as the show has and seeing how they correlate, I think a couple of the things that turn up a lot is that we tend to believe what we hear first, and then the truth takes longer to come out and then makes less of an impression because we're like, I already have an impression. I don't need another impression. I'm fine. <laughs> and that, you know, things that feel true tend to be what we believe. And then what feels true to us is based on who we are.
0: Were, were you as a journalist looking at this before you had the podcast and, and were you sort of fascinated with that? What, what were you writing about? What was your relationship with going back and trying to more or less correct how people understood history before the podcast?
1: At the start of making the podcast, I felt like I had this gigantic backlog of stories that outlets I was trying to pitch freelance stories to weren't really that interested in hearing about. And I'd be like, Amy Fisher. And they'd be like, what, did she do something recently? I'd just be like, no, but there's like people today that don't know the Amy Fisher story. And it's really interesting. And the way the reporting on it completely missed the point at the time. And that's worth reflecting on. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I would always find little backdoor ways to cram a story about some kind of 80s media fiasco into a TV review. Um, (laughs) And then eventually it just took over. Um,
0: I I also read that early on your interest in in reporting out this kind of stuff was really kind of coming from a a sort of a feminist approach, Mm -hmm. particularly the ways that often women are misunderstood, misdescribed, mischaracterized, and you wanted to go in and kind of correct the record on that stuff?
1: Yeah, and I think... The way I see myself getting started on this track is as an Oregonian growing up in the shadow of Tanya Harding. And knowing that that was a story that at first had brought national media to the Portland area in a way that we were like, was pretty new to us at the time. And then looking back not that long after the fact and thinking, gee, it's funny that this story that if you think about it as really a tragedy got to be a comedy um and then thinking about how many other stories are like that and often the ones about young women are like that Mm
0: -hmm. now writing about that and talking about it into a microphone are kind of two different things did you feel immediately comfortable and natural doing it doing the podcast version because this podcast was kind of an immediate hit (laughs) like did you feel comfortable doing it kind of right away
1: Uh, I mean, it was a learning curve. I think the thing about writing is that you can get it exactly the way you want to get it before you're releasing it to the world, um, at least theoretically. And so I think there was something kind of emotional and imprecise about working in a conversational show format that first felt uncomfortable to me and I now realize is one of the great strengths of the medium and that I really appreciate is that if I'm telling you about somebody and if I'm getting emotional about it, then that's not a flaw to my analytical approach as it would be if I were in academia still. You have to kind of give up on making it an analog for the thing you know to embrace the strengths it has.
5: Mm
0: -hmm. We're talking to Sarah Marshall, host of uh, the You're Wrong About podcast. Um, One of the things that you have the benefit of doing this show is hindsight. So you can look back on a story like the OJ Mm -hmm. trial. or I mean, I grew up going to Mike Warnke shows oh like I gosh. saw him do stand-up comedy he was this person who you spent a lot of time talking about who yeah. kind of helped create this satanic panic because he had all these wild stories of his time in satanism which mm-hmm. all turned out to be made up right. um, but you have the benefit of hindsight have you also now developed this muscle enough that in real time when the news is happening you can kind of see like all right these are the parts of this story that we're all going to be or maybe not all of us but yeah. that are going to get misconstrued
1: I I feel like sometimes I have that, but I also think that the kinds of misconstruals we have now are so extreme that, like, anyone can do that. It's (laughs) like having a superpower that lets you punch right through aluminum foil. (laughs) 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 I'm sad that that was so funny.
0: (laughs) So you can see it, but you feel like it doesn't take extreme insight to see how these things are being uh, already sort of going off the rails informationally?
1: I think a lot of the time, yeah, I think we're living in a great age of misinformation, like misinformation clearly has always been a force that organizes society, but I think now it's moving faster and there's more of it, so it's like there have always been killer bees, but what if there were like way more killer bees moving faster all around the world? Um, But I mean an example that comes to mind is the tragedy at World, where people uh, were suffocated, killed by essentially the way a human crowd moves if there's over a certain threshold of people in a space that's too small and if the people at the back can't tell what's happening at the front. And so the conspiracy theories that came up were blaming a specific person, saying it was a, satan- a satanic sacrifice, and also arguing that people were being Injected with random drugs that people were going around injecting people
0: I heard that yeah. actually from the police department early on they were pursuing it as a possibility
1: yeah and and that makes sense and I think and also one of the consistent problems with the news is that it often reports what the police are speculating and be like, well, that's probably right and it's like mm-hmm. well it's probably not <laughs> um, yeah. and the idea that if after Tragedy caused by human error happens. We want to point a specific finger at someone and possibly call them Satanist. That just seems very consistent over time
0: uh, i don 't want to uh, be reductive, so forgive me, and I also want to encourage everyone to go download you 're wrong about if you haven 't already. but can we run through some topics <laughs> from the show, and can you kind of just give your I a first thought from having done the shows, Ooh, yeah. having done the research of, of what maybe people generally have wrong about it.
1: Yeah, I love lightning rounds. I'm yeah. very excited about Who this. Who doesn't?
0: <laughs> we can take as long as you want. Okay. This doesn't have to, we, there's no... It's a thunder round. Yes, exactly. <laughs> how, how about uh, Anna Nicole Smith? What's the misperception around her?
1: Yeah, I think the misperception around her, and so many of these are people that I grew up watching VH1 specials about in the late 90s, um, is that she was this gold digger who found and preyed upon this incredibly sickly old man and married him for his millions. So, okay. So, in fact, they met when she was a stripper and he courted her for years and years and she finally agreed to marry him and then, yes, he died and she fought with his heirs for his money. And he also... Before her had another stripper who he loved and loved buying millions of dollars worth of things for. And that was kind of his pattern. And my argument there is like, what would you have done if you were her?
0: Yeah. <laughs> How about uh, Ebonics or the Ebonics controversy? What What yeah. were you wrong about with that?
1: This one is also one I remembered from the schoolyard jokes um, in grade school in the 90s, which is amazing to look back on. And that one basically is based on the fact that I believe one school in one district was talking about, or schools in a single district were talking about teaching basically based on the conceit that you don't automatically correct African American Vernacular English, AAVE, that you recognize that it's a distinct grammar that makes as much sense as any other grammar and then teach using that as a tool. And that got morphed somehow into an incredible number of jokes and inflammatory media and uh, ultimately government doings based on the idea that all children all across America were going to be forced to abandon standard grammar.
0: So is the critical race theory of its time, basically? Oh, yeah.
1: I can't tell if it's more or less obviously made up. It's just like a race to the bottom, but Yeah.
0: (laughs) What about uh, Dr. Oz?
1: <laughs> Dr. Oz is a medical wizard and a very honest man. And he, he can't come back, and he doesn't know how it works. Um, no, I mean, the basic Dr. Oz story is that he... I mean, this actually is kind of a backdoor to the fact that Oprah plays a supporting role in a lot of episodes, if you're wrong about, because she's... You know, Because it makes good TV, she's really historically helped a lot of uh, people with wild and eventually proven to be untrue stories to have a gigantic platform. I'm sure everyone out there can think of like three different people. And, <laughs> and so the Dr. Oz story is basically that he's uh, promoting as the new wonder cure, week after week, things with marginal to non-existent health benefits. And it's, you know, the... Yeah, I don't know. I think I've got The Wizard of Oz on the brain because I went to Movie Madness for the first time in years and I saw The Wizard of Oz's pants. Everyone go, everyone see the pants. But he's another Wizard of Oz. Well,
0: speaking of which, you've also got a a movie podcast with uh, Alex Stead called You Are Good. Yeah, Steed. Steed called You Are Good, (laughs) um, which was originally titled Why Are Dads?
1: Yes. What was
0: the original concept for the show?
1: The original premise was... I I mean, we decided to start a movie podcast kind of in the early days of the pandemic, and the original theme was Apocalypse Friends, movies about an apocalypse that are also kind of about friendship, so like Dawn of the Dead, which is very much about friendship, um, as we all know, and and then we realized that was too much of an epic downer, and we decided, okay, Dad's in movies, because everyone... Almost everyone has some kind of a relationship to at least one of those things. And we both have uh, idiosyncratic old dads who our relationships with really shaped us as people. And so it was a we started off with what I believe to be mathematically the dadliest movie of all time, huh. which was Jaws. <laughs> really? Yeah.
0: What makes it the dadliest movie?
1: Well, okay. Here's my basic thoughts on Jaws. I feel like this is a dream I've had. Um, (laughs) You've got the scary, angry, greatest generation guy, model of masculinity, Robert Shaw, who was traumatized by sharks during World War II, and now is like traumatizing everyone around him as revenge. And then there's the young boomer guy who looks and probably acts exactly like Steven Spielberg, and who's a man of science, and then there's Brody, who's the man of the law and who's a lovely dad to his lovely kids. And between the three of them, they're able to make a beautiful triangle of masculinity that's strong enough <laughs> to defeat the shark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've made an airtight argument as to the dadliness yeah. of that film. Yeah. Sarah Marshall, everyone. Check out her podcast, You're Wrong About, and you are good. Mm-hmm. That was Sarah Marshall right here on LiveWire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. LiveWire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal T this season, formerly known as T-Chai-Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like Cinnamon Churro Chai and Blueberry Cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello, special holiday edition of the show. And as such, we've been asking the LiveWire listeners, uh, what is a holiday tradition that you particularly treasure? Elena has been looking at those responses. What are people saying?
3: This is a really sweet one from Caitlin. Caitlin says, after my uncle died, my family started an annual family monetary donation book in his honor the four of our families donate money to a cause each year. And we take turns with the book, which is how we remember what we chose, where the money goes each year and whose turn it is Mm. and things like that. So it sounds like it's this like magical book that gets passed around from family to family. And then you more bang for your buck. All of these different families that were related to this one man, Caitlin's uncle, all kind of come together to make a really sizable donation. Ah, I just love that so much. And then you can read it like a story, you know, as the years go by it's
0: so beautiful yeah what a great legacy too yeah for uh, caitlin's uncle that's an amazing way to remember somebody and to do some some real good in the spirit of how it sounds like he lived his life um okay one more holiday tradition before we get to our next guest
3: this one makes me laugh just because of the way that it's worded <laughs> this is from lisa and lisa says every year my office does an ugly holiday sweater party and i like that period
0: That's the holiday tradition.
3: It's like, (laughs) that's the only one, huh, Lisa? And I just like that it's like full stop. I like the ugly holidays. I just, I can imagine Lisa as that kind of wonderfully upfront colleague. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Lisa's like, got the sweater picked out like weeks in advance, just like ready to go ham (laughs) at the ugly sweater party. You know, everything is so kind of like cyclical. I wonder, are we cycling into a like a beautiful holiday sweater? Kind of like era at some point, like will we move past the ugly sweater and 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 go to the like tolerable sweater, and then eventually to the to the beautiful sweater? Like what we thought was
3: ugly in like 2015, all of a sudden becomes fashionable in 2025. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I think something is
0: out of style, I see somebody wearing it, Some, particularly some young person wearing it, and I realize, oh, that's back in style again. I never so, thought about that, I but guess...
3: that's true. Like, what, what thing is just going to be ugly no matter what the trends are? And you know what the answer is? The sweater that I'm going to be wearing to the Livewire holiday party. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, really?
3: Oh, yeah. I got a good one. There might be a oh, battery gosh. pack I'm... involved.
0: Let's just leave oh, it at that. Oh, I am very excited <laughs> about this. Our musical guest this week first came to our attention as the Dynamite guest vocalist for Pink Martini, with whom he's performed with around the world, also on Livewire, not to brag. Uh, He's perhaps best known, though, now for his jaw-dropping performance on the 2021 America's Got Talent season, including receiving the coveted Golden Buzzer. Take a listen to Jimmy Harad performing his song each time in front of a live crowd at Livewire.
2: It's time that I almost reach is. It's time that I almost reach far enough yet. It's time that we. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, LiveWire.
0: That was Jimmy Harad performing on LiveWire, his solo album of original works, Falling in Love and Learning to Love Myself, is available now. And you can follow Jimmy on Instagram at Jimmy underscore Harad. That is Jimmy with an I-E at the end. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Paul F. Tompkins, Sarah Marshall, and Jimmy Harad. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Our
3: producer and editor is Melanie Sebchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Our marketing manager is Paige Thomas. And our production fellow is Tandi Kumar. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake.
0: Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. This week, we'd like to thank member Samita Reddy of Portland, Oregon, who also happens to be a member of Livewire's board. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, Head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. For Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.